Welcome to The Gabby Ree Show, where we break down the complex worlds of health, fitness, family, business, and relationships with the world's leading experts. I'm your host, Gabby Reese, and I'm here to simplify these topics and give you practical takeaways that you can start using today. We all know that living a healthy, balanced life isn't always easy. Let's try working on managing life a little better and have some fun along the way. Because after all, life is just one big experiment and we're all doing our best. My thesis would be to say, if you don't do this, That general angst that is the majority of your daily life because of the speed of life currently, if that is not managed, that will throw you into the the zone where you feel like you're burnt out, overwhelmed, can't cope. That's why there's so much move to listen to birds, go into nature, go for a walk. I would say very strongly, it's okay to be a mess. I've said this a few times now and... Don't stay a mess, learn to manage your mess, but give yourself permission to be messy and then make a plan to manage your mess. And that can open up a whole world of freedom and empower people to really feel like they get my autonomy back. Empowerment is key in self-regulation. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. My guest today is Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's a communication pathologist and a clinical neuroscientist. I've had Dr. Leaf on the podcast before. The last time we talked about Your Mental Mess, which is really a book geared more towards adult about how to, and I I really find this interesting, how to teach your mind to control the brain. It's so interesting because I think we feel like, oh, my mind and brain, it's the same thing. But there are these interesting drivers and she talks about how to create systems in place to give you the tools to navigate whatever you're going through temporary stress, anxiety, you're feeling overwhelmed. Well, now she has a new book out and it's not that it feels more important, but it just feels like the timing is so critical and it's how to help your child. I think none of us can relate to what it's like to be a young person today trying to develop in this incredibly loud world unless we have a system in place or consciously kind of separate and take that quiet time or unplug from technology, it's really difficult to do. It's not only for young people, because I think even adults who grew up without technology were not really equipped to handle it. And so how do we be good role models? And also what are the things, what are the tools that we can use and demonstrate and then teach our children or young people around us on, hey, we're going to have these feelings, all of them, anger, anxiety. We're going to wake up certain days and not really want to get out of bed. And it's all pretty natural. So what can we do to manage it and not let it sort of overtake us? I really appreciate the way she not only breaks it down and makes it very clear, but she herself is a great example of somebody who's navigating a lot. She has a very busy and large career. She's raised four children You know, she's a great example of somebody who's like, okay, how do I get that space? What are the tools? So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Caroline Leaf. So Dr. Leaf, I just want to dive right in. The last time we spoke, we were just saying was a couple of years ago, um, you know, talking about your mental mess. And it's not that I feel like that was sort of adult oriented, but it did feel like it was different than what I'm hoping to talk to today, which is really to focus more on 
on younger, on children and, and sort of younger people because, you know, it's like we live in this world and I feel like we all sort of know some of the answers, but the way our world is working, it doesn't matter if we know the answers. We're not going to be off our technology. It's like hopefully we could get to bed early or grab some food or things that support our overall mental, you know, well-being, let's say. But I, I feel in some ways that a lot of this feels out of people's control with technology. And, and even though we say, hey, we know it's not good for them and their mental health, here we are. I love that you started with that question because it, it's just such a good place to start because it's not going away. I just did an article for Time Magazine on AI. It's not going away. And this is the key contention that I have with this whole mental health crisis is that we're acting as though, or not reacting, I should say that the, the sort of established establishment that deals with mental health for the last 40 years has taken this whole concept of, of life experience and adversity and subsumed it and reduced it down to a set of symptoms to be eliminated. And in doing that, looking for all these external locuses of, of, con locuses of control to blame. And so it's almost as though they're saying that, oh, suddenly we're in this era that we've never been in before. But that's what they've been saying for the last how many thousands of years. Every single generation has something new to deal with. Mm. There's been wars before. There's been plagues before. There's been, tech, there's been TV, radio. I mean, every lighter. There's been moon, going to the moon. So it's not like change is the, is the newbie in town. What's the issue is that we're not managing it. We are not teaching ourselves and our kids how to manage it. So there's nothing wrong with social media. If you, if you manage it, if you don't manage it, it becomes a problem. It's like anything in life. If you don't balance how you do things, if you don't manage how you do things, that's where the issue comes in. Mm -hmm. And that's why I believe we're seeing this major mental health crisis. We've got to stop blaming social media and we've got to start looking at what are we doing? How are we managing social media? And, and I'm not talking about reduced time on your cell phone because that's not going to happen. And maybe it will happen a little bit if it's not realistic. You yeah. tell, tell a child not to go on their cell phone. You tell an adult not to go on their cell phone. They're just, you know, they're worse. They're not going to stop. It's, it's, it's sort of the white bear effect. You tell someone to not do something, they're going to do it. So it's more of let's understand what this is and how it's affecting us and that this is just one of many things. And stop blaming one thing and look at actually what we're doing. Is it, how are we as a society teaching ourselves and our kids how to manage our mind to deal with these changes that are, in, in this particular day and age. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense, but I do find an interesting sort of element that's also added into this soup of our everyday lives, which is simultaneously, I believe our societal teachings are, it's not your fault. You know, you're good at everything. All your feelings matter. You know, if someone disagrees with you, that should make you upset. So I guess simultaneously to this wave of technology that all people are having to deal with, but I couldn't even imagine having to grow up and form as a human being and build a relationship with myself and the world I live in with technology. And then on top of it, everyone's indirectly kind of coddling me and, and sort of, I, it feels to me that some of the conversation is also let's go down every rabbit hole of every single feeling versus understanding that as you know, biological human beings, that we are going to have a myriad of emotions throughout our days that we don't actually have to act upon. So I'm really fascinated from your point of view, 
as somebody who's saying, hey, let's support young people. And and I really want to dive into, you know, you really are big about being proactive versus reactive from the parents' side and, and from teaching children. Maybe we could start with just some of the teachings that you've been doing. I, I know I was really fascinated in the geodesic um, information and just kind of how that works and then your own five steps. Maybe we could we could start there. Yeah, that's a great place to start. But I just wanted to first say thank you for summarizing that whole situation so well. You know, you're speaking, you know, you're in my wheelhouse. You're speaking to the choir here. We have to get more balance. And that's where the mind management aspect comes in. And it's like we've veered from one side to the next, either not talking about our feelings or over-talking our feelings. And it's it's almost, it's like a, Gabby, it's kind of like a plane, flying a plane. And this may sound crazy, but if you think about it, when a pilot flies a plane, they have to prepare everything. So there's the pilot, the co-pilot, there's checklists, there's engineers, there's talking to the tower. There's a lot of preparation. Then the pilot is also very skilled, obviously, and has done training and has learned skills over time. And then that pilot can take off. And then the pilot flies the plane to a destination, very planned, very guided, and then lands in a very planned and guided way. And the reason I'm emphasizing that is that's how our mind works. Our mind, we can't just, so the equivalent of of what you just described uh, would be if we just spoke about our feelings, then that's the plane taking off, but you do nothing else, the plane will crash. If you just meditate, if you just breathe, if you, it's, it's a bandaid on the wound, you, you literally just taking, you're just preparing the plane, but you're still on the ground. What are you going to do now? You're just going to stay on the ground. You know, so it's, it's, it's kind of like we're doing bits and pieces all over the place because we recognize the need to address this issue, but we're throwing in a hodgepodge way. So what I've done with the geodesic information processing theory, which is a big mouthful for the theory I developed, that basically looks at how the mind-brain connection works. They're three separate things, but they work together. And how they work together is something that we as humans can actually control. We can drive the direction of that network. It's an actual network. It's a specific network that allows us to function. So it's it's and it's a network that's constantly changing. When I say network, it's a mind, brain, body network. The mind is our driving force. It, it's the energy and the action of our aliveness. The brain is the recipient of that energy and reconstructs that energy into physical structures called thoughts with memories. And then the brain and body together instruct the body to store a representation in every cell. So it's an embodied experience that we have. Then that collectively drives how we show up. And how we show up is how we show up from moment to moment, what's happening in your life, what's going on in your life, etc. So, um, so for example, we're trying to find a quiet place to do this interview because suddenly there was this chaos and it was all organized and I have a setup and everything. So that could have thrown me off, but you just have to adjust. You have to, how am I showing up in the moment? What am I, whatever. So that's a silly example. But in any one moment, we're showing up with the day-to-day struggles, all patterns from the past combined with day-to-day struggles, perhaps some very big traumas that we've never dealt with that are also influencing us. These are all in our networks and they're driving us. So what I wanted to understand was how can we, as humanity, how can we change the way that we are um, showing up in terms of recognizing it? So understanding that I show up in this world like this if I've spent the entire day on my social media, looking at someone else's body image. And I'm a 13-year-old and I'm already forming my identity and I'm very confused already about my identity. And now I feel even worse because I don't look like them. And if I don't, I have no value. And I spend all day, every moment, 
consumed with that. Whatever we think about the most is getting bigger and bigger and more dominant in the network. And we've got trillions of networks in our brain. But if we have just focused on one view, then we start looking at life like this through that toxic viewpoint. And all the other perspectives kind of get eliminated. Mm. Now, that's bad management. But if we as a parent can be proactive and say, and this is what the basically what my geodesic theory is based on, is let's look at how we're showing up and let's deconstruct and find out why. Let's change how we do look at that because we can't change what, what we've done. We can't change the fact that there are social, social media out there with this whole curated body image thing, which is really a huge problem. And that's why I brought this up as an example with teenage girls at the moment, really a big problem. Um, and we can't change that, but we can change how we choose to spend our time, which influences what we choose to show, to wire into our network, which then we choose to then to, uh, control what's driving us. And that requires a facilitative support from parents and from caregivers and from teachers and from adults and those people in their lives. So that's a simple example. Okay. So with, let's say we have young children um, under the age yeah. of 10. Generally, you can sort of control some of their environments easier, you know, who their friends are, kind of their practices, where they're going. So I can understand implementing, maybe we could just talk about for that age group as parents or, you know, people around young people. So you could have friends yeah. that have children or an auntie or an uncle practices that we can put in place for young children? So parents, rules and practices, let's say. Okay, perfect. Great question. So those rules and practices to help whether you're a two-year-old or you're 82-year-old grew out of that theory that I developed, that geodesic theory. And I, I developed a basic system. And the system, the, the system I developed looks at how does information and experience get into the human brain and mind and body and make us show up and how can we reverse engineer that so how does thoughts form and what are memories and all that fancy stuff so i had to simplify that down working with people with challenges into something simple so i managed to over the years break it down into five basic steps that i call the neurocycle neuro as in brain neuro cycle and um, that's, that's changed names over the years, but it incorporates a lot of science and clinical application. I still do research on it. So I'm just saying that to say that what I'm about to tell parents is based on hardcore science and clinical application and ongoing science. And I think that's extremely important, Gabby, is that we understand that we've never just made it, that we've got to keep learning and improving and all that kind of stuff. So the most recent book that I've released is to take this concept and um, to make it applicable for parents to help children as young as two and three up to 10. My other books that you've interviewed me about are from sort of 11 upwards. You can even use this book with an 11, 12-year-old. And in fact, we've done the beta testing. We've got adults saying, actually, it's easier than the other one. I think I'll use both because it's full of cartoons and all kinds of stuff. Okay, so the basic idea is to teach a child mind management and your your um your actual driving active ingredients, that's the word I was looking for, active ingredient of mind management is self-regulation. And initially when a child's two or three, it's, you know, you're co-regulating. And as they're getting older and older, you are reducing the amount of co-regulation and leading them to the point of self-regulation. And as something hits, there's a bit of co-regulation and then you pull away and it's self-regulation. And that's the idea of safety in parenting where you don't control, you don't hover, you actually stand back, you let them explore. And if they fall, you're the safety net. And that's where you then do a little bit of co-regulation and then you pull away. So the active ingredient is this being able to self-regulate. Now we know as adults that if self-regulation means that if I 
snap at my husband because I'm worked up, that I recognize the impact and I can say sorry. If I get mad at my kids because I've had a hectic day, um, I can actually recognize that impact and say sorry and manage that and whatever. So it's, it's being able to manage yourself and manage your reactions and that kind of stuff so that you can and see the patterns in your life and all that sort of thing. So the neurocycle helps you do that. So for, coming down to a very practical level with children, this starts with creating a space in your house that you designate as the area where we work on our mind. And you could call that your neurocycle corner, your brain corner, your whatever you like, mm-hmm. but it works incredibly well. Done this for years, did it in family therapy. It's based on scientific concepts and it's the most simple basic thing. And that's like you, if you'd go do yoga, you do it on a yoga mat. Otherwise, you know, it's kind of hard to do it. If you cook on a stove, it's you cook on a stove, it's much easier than cooking on a floor. You can't really cook on a floor. You know, there's the concept of a designated space. You go to the gym to do gym, you throw your ball outside. So you you create a designated space in your house. And that could be a cute little corner, where there's a cute little chair, a box of art supplies, some toys, depending on the age. We even have a little character called Brainy. I'll take him out the box in a moment, which is a cartoon character that I've created actually with a Disney artist 25 years ago, and then we had it updated. And this, this character is throughout the book. So it's a little character called Brainy. And Brainy is the, walks the mental health journey with you and has a superpower called the neurocycle. And kids respond to this. They respond to toys. They respond to cartoons. Adults do too. So this little Brainy, so this is the, one of the techniques is having a point of contact, a designated space and a point of contact. So throughout the book, I also have Brainy all over the place in different scenarios, looking right. at thought trees and whatever. So I've tried to, um, in your designated space, you have your art supplies. If you want to get brainy and the book and whatever, you have it there, some toys. And the idea is that if you're having a bad day and you're freaking out or whatever, you go sit in that space. So you teach your child, oh, my gosh, I'm having such a bad day. I yelled at you. I'm sorry. What I said impacted you. I've got a sore tummy from being having such a bad day. Today, life just sucks. Yeah. I'm not sure why, but I think it's because I've been maybe whatever, whatever, whatever. And then, hey, let me show you some pictures and let me write this down and show you, you know, kind of how my day's gone and why I think I'm feeling like this. Mm, And let me look back and say, okay, if I did this maybe or did that and you invite them to collaborate with you to help you solve your problem and then say, oh, that's great. Okay, I'm going to go do that. I've just done a neurocycle. Mm -hmm. That two, five second thing, I've just done a neurocycle. What I've done is I've modeled in a very authentic way. I've taken ownership. I've invited my kids in deep meaningful relationship, collaboration. And I've said to them, hey, I also get messy. It's okay to be a mess. There's nothing wrong with anxiety, frustration, depression. You don't have a brain disease. There's not something wrong with you. You control your brain. You drive your brain. And the way we do it is we go, I'm going to say things that are horrible because some, I'm a human and I make mistakes and, and I'm sorry. So I want to, I want to tell you, I felt like this. I did this. I felt like this in my body. This is how I was looking at life. This is why. And so you go through the process and we can unpack the process in a moment. I just want to get the general idea across to answer your question. The idea is that I have modeled in an authentic way, in a very organized way, something that has changed my entire network. It's set up my neurophysiology and I'm starting to now create a, an, a, an altered or healed tree. I'm healing the roots of that thought tree, which has been driving me to act in this way. Maybe for a few days you've been worked up or whatever. And I'm starting to now change that and I'm changing my networks because the big thing is we can identify an emotion. We can say, I think I know why I'm doing that. But if we don't fly the plane and land the plane and you know, take it off, prepare take the whole thing of doing the cycle of flying the plane and so on and landing it, we're just going to have a bunch of activities and no real change that's sustainable will take place. Yeah. So 
point number one, designated space. Point number two, do it yourself first. Learn the system. Model it for yourself. Kids are like authenticity. They respond to being to being shown. They'll do what you do, not what you say kind of thing. They will, you're inviting them to use their very insightful wisdom. Kids have got a lot of insight, a lot more than you've given them credit for. And you're nodding your head. Our kids come up with wisdom, even from very young, that astounds me. Let's draw on that. Let's grow that wisdom. So those are the three main principles. And then the technique of the neurocycle, you fit within those principles. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And it's an interesting thing where there's something very, so powerful us parents, because this is when you have kids, it's the first time you're having kids, right? And then each kid is different if you have multiple kids and then there are different stages. But to your point, when we can acknowledge their inherent wisdom and the way that they view the world, we don't realize it's also another opportunity for us to be better. So in this attempt to sort of say, hey, I'm going to learn this myself and try to model it because I I really want to be a good example and I would like them to figure this out and have this as a tool. What I have learned is the times that I don't keep trying to control, but I'm trying to listen more it doesn't mean I have to agree with everything. It doesn't mean there's not going to no. be consequences, but it's also exactly. reminding parents that our our children are showing us also the, our, how to be better. And as long as we're not afraid of it or scared to show like, oh, I don't know. Vulnerability. I, I really think it's such a powerful thing. And, and, and it feels like it, it overlaps as they get older into being teenagers, that they trust you a little more and they give you a little more slack because you've been willing to show up that way. So that, uh, I feel like that's a really important point And one that I still wrestle with, you know, like, you know, when they say something to yeah. you and you go, oh, they're kind of right. And you don't really want to hear it. But if you just don't yeah. fight it, I think it's so much better. Well, it does. And it creates the minute that you, you accept that, you know, yeah, I did hurt you. Well, you are right. Why well, am being defensive or why am yeah. being reactive? They respect that. They, your relationship with them will go to a different level yeah. because that is really what reality is. And, and teaching them to take ownership of the consequences of actions. Mm. You know, you, you, you talk, you made that comment that um, you want them to realize these consequences. But by you taking ownership and, and, and acknowledging the consequences of your actions, what, what better teacher yeah. for them to recognize? It's not something scary. It doesn't feel great. And it may make you feel a little bit of whatever. And even that, you can then do a neurocycle and say, okay, this doesn't make me feel great. And I really thought I had this together, but you know what? I'm going to work through this. And you know, that's what the that's what the process, if you do that correctly, you can create that as a lifestyle. And that's the that's very, very important. Yeah, it, it makes life in the long run so much easier. So it does. We we create this space, you modeling the, these techniques, and and then what are some of the other ways? So one of the things that is, maybe we talk, we can talk about the actual technique because what do you yeah. do in these spaces and what is the time frame for change? Now, remember, we're talking about changing the mind, brain, body connection. So we're changing the way that proteins form in the brain. If we drive in the direction of energy, we're driving neurophysiology, all this fancy stuff. Mm -hmm. But that's where stuff is um, and gravitational fields and all these things that are very complex concepts that you're not consciously thinking about, but they follow a they work in a certain way. So if you want to align with the way that the mind-brain-body networks, we call it the psychoneurobiological network works, 
if you want to align with that, then you have to follow the same principles. So it's kind of like if you want to use your your computer correctly, you have to you know switch it on. You have to charge it. You can't throw it on the floor and not charge it. It's it's such a silly example, but it's if you want something to work, you've got to use it properly. So the neurocycle helps you use your mind brain body network properly it's it's what we do on an unconscious level and a lot of what i'm about to say is stuff that you say oh i do do that already and 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 i know you are doing that already and the listeners and viewers are doing a lot of these things already just maybe not in the sequence so the key is to get the sequence correct so the energy flows through the network correctly to break down the, the 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 protein structures that hold the information that are your memories that form thoughts that are stuck you want to get them unstuck and if you just have a thought that you just, um, I want to be like that, but you don't fix the broker, the, the, the one that's driving you, you're going to still have it. Mm. That's the key. And you're going to build another one. Now you've got two in competition. And whichever one you pay attention to will, have, will be more, more how you show up. But the problem is that this one still exists. So if I'm thrown off task by something pretty big, I can fall back into that habit. And so you see the black addiction. Mm. It's not a disease. It's that there's a pattern that hasn't been reconstructed. So I'm talking about deconstructing and reconstructing, and that's what the neurocycle does. So it's a preparation phase and five steps. And the preparation phase are things that we're all very familiar with. It's like breathing and meditation and fun things like let's think of five things we can see, four things we can smell, three things we can taste, whatever. Things like that that take you into a general awareness state of how you're feeling in your body at the moment or the calming down the neurophysiology, just creating a general state of awareness and calmness. And there's so many different ways you can do that. And I give lots of examples in the book. And I also have an app. I think I told you about that before, Gabby, an app called NeuroCycle. And we're adding a whole, which is for basically adolescents and onwards, but we're adding in a whole Mm -hmm. section for helping parents help their children with their mental health as well. Um, And then there's all these examples of brain preparation are in the book as well with lots of little techniques and tricks then the next thing is you want to that is the equivalent if you come back to the pilot example that's the equivalent of the pilot and the co-pilot and engineer getting everything ready the tower etc to for the plane in the airport to take off then we need to take off so the takeoff equivalent of in the neurocycle after you've done the brain preparation so brain preparation step one take off called gather awareness so takeoff is your gather awareness so I've got a general awareness and I've calmed down my neurophysiology, but now I'm getting focused. I'm gathering. Think of gathering. I'm picking. I'm choosing. There's choice involved. There's planned, guided, deliberate, intentional type action involved. Not just random. I sit under an apple tree and shake it and everything falls on my head. Not that kind of awareness. It's an awareness of I go into the apple orchard. I choose the tree and I choose the apples and I pick them and put them in the basket. And that's the analogy that, that I give kids. You know, you're going to choose and adults too. Okay. So you gather awareness. You said something earlier on, talk about our emotions. You talk about then go down this rabbit hole of emotions, but where do we go? There's, you know, if someone's hurt you, then you just own, you, know, you just get stuck in the hurt. That's the problem. It's good to acknowledge that someone's hurt you. It's good to acknowledge your emotions, but you can't get stuck there. You can't then become a victim that becomes bitter and twisted because life has hit you and you now everyone's, you'll eventually create a, a situation in your own life or your child's life where they will have start developing narcissistic tendencies and entitlement where it's, oh, you know what? It's everyone else's fault if I'm not happy. And that's not the case. You cannot make your child happy. You cannot make anyone except yourself happy. And even then, you know, what? why is happiness your goal? It should be more peace and satisfaction and, you know, happiness is a side effect. So 
and diversified slightly. But let's coming back to the point. You gather up and holding up four fingers. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to make little sentences. This is how specific you get. And the first one is, how am I feeling? Mm. Now I'm talking, it, well, how is the child feeling? So you could do it with yourself first. You could observe your child and do it as a sort of observational thing. You can do both of those. And you can then sit with your child and do it with them. So sometimes you'll do all three because sometimes you are so reactive because this has been going on for a while and your kids are driving you crazy. Messy parenting is real. I own it. Okay. We all need our own messy parenting. And sometimes our kids do drive us crazy. And if they, and if they're doing that and uh, we drive them crazy, so it goes both ways, but we need to control our reactivity. Otherwise we're going to say things that are going to hurt each other and not going to be constructive. So if you are feeling reactive, it's better for you just to take some space and do a neurocycle on your own. Then, then when you're in a calmer state, maybe do an observational neurocycle where you observe your child and you just make a note in a, in a journal. The third one is you sit with your child in that designated space and you do it. So what do you do? Gather awareness. What are you going to gather awareness of? I feel. What do you feel? What are your emotions? I feel frustrated and irritated. Where do you feel that? When you say frustrated and irritated, where are you feeling that? Tension in my stomach or my heart's fluttering or there's this buzzing going through my body or one of my favorites and one of this, there's a child in the book, a story in the book, talked about how it made him feel jiggly. I mean, kids will come up with the best words. So it's the connection of the emotion connected to where it feels, what does it feel like in your body? Then what are my behaviors, emotions, sensation in your body? What are my behaviors? In other words, what am I saying? What am I doing? Mm -hmm. Maybe it is I'm yelling and I'm speaking in a very aggressive way or I'm withdrawing, or whatever. So what are you saying? What are you doing? And that could be getting stuck on Instagram, getting uh, just withdrawing, or whatever, being irritable, being short-tailed, all these things. What am I doing? But related to this, not just in general, right. how am I showing up? Okay. Then what's my perspective? In other words, attitude. How am I looking at life? So it could be depressed, gut issues, withdrawing, life sucks. So there's a simple example. Four little sentences you've gathered awareness of. Then you go and reflect. The next step. And reflection is like shining a light through a prism and then it comes out in like a full rainbow on the other side. You get in depth. The why. Why do I feel this emotion? What other emotions do I feel? I wonder how does that also play? Is it always like this in my body? Do I how what other behaviors? You know, getting more detail and starting to see some sort of why. This has created incredible neurophysiological changes. You've activated from the non-conscious level into the conscious level a whole series of memories that are collated together into a thought tree-like structure. And you've loosened and weakened proteins. You've changed energy waves, all kinds of stuff that enables you to drive the new direction you want to go. So it's not that you are eliminating, you are reconstructing because everything's good for you if you understand the message behind it. So that depression is a message. What is it? It's a signal. And so you work through. So reflection is a bit of the why. Then you take all of that and you don't journal, you dump it down on a piece of paper or on a chalk if you've got to paint a wall with chalk paint and dump it on there or have a journal, art journal however you want but you're going to write it down but it's not fancy journaling it's simply put down in pictures words scribbles colors circles bubbles as messy as you can and you just literally put down whatever comes into your mind at that moment and you time all this you don't take hours on each thing and i'll give you the timing once i've explained the steps then you look at this chaotic thing that you've created and you start trying to see patterns and activators and drivers and antidotes and, and and perspectives and and viewpoints and think okay well this has happened what could i do about this what is the source what am, where is this coming from so you're starting to get to the root cause and then you round this all up and you land the plane because those four steps of up to this point you've taken the plane and you've flown it 
you land the plane and that, that will be a little action. So something like, okay, I'm getting worked up like this because I'm doing too much, not taking enough rests and I'm not, or I'm denying, I've been denying the fact that that my child's making me feel awful and I feel guilty for getting irritated and that's what's keeping me stuck and that irritation towards myself is coming out as irritation towards my child and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be a mess. That would be an act of reach. So something like a little statement like that and I'll pick this up tomorrow. Timing. How long do you spend on each of those steps? Somewhere between five minutes to 45 minutes in total. So if it's five minutes, one minute per step. If it's if it's one minute, a few seconds per step. If it's 45 minutes, not more than sort of five to seven to eight minutes per step. So you're not spending forever because you're not going to solve it all in one moment. So it's it's done over time. Where you can use it in the moment is the day-to-day stuff. So let's say that your kids are having a fight in the car or you're in a meeting and someone says something that completely throws you off and you just didn't expect, expect that. And you can feel yourself, your blood boiling or you can feel yourself maybe withdrawing and getting like a whole identity crisis in that few seconds. You can do a neurocycle. You can be looking at the person in 10 seconds. You can go through all five steps. And very, and there you don't maybe have time to write, but for the third step, you could just visualize like you're watching a movie. So you can use it for the moment by moment stuff because it gets the order back in line. And if it's a pattern where it's a, it's a disrupting life, then you're going to do that over time. Yeah. And the over time is five to 15 minutes a day, 45 minutes max over cycles of 63 days, around nine weeks, not less. You, if you do it less, you're going to have two competing trees and you're not going to actually create sustainable change. Okay, I said a lot. Do you want to unpack with some questions? And then I could give some more little tips and techniques around the five steps. Absolutely. Well, f- first of all, I can't help but think the fact that we, you know, before we used to write letters, and, you know, to each other. And there's something where, because we live in a time, for example, people form opinions without getting it, like they won't read an entire article. They react only to the headline, Right. Exactly. So I feel like we're also at this place where people don't take time on things to understand. And the fact that we don't write anymore, we don't really sort of go, well, how am I feeling? And let me see if I can articulate that. So really for me, what this says is it's also kind of slowing things down to just have that chance to look at how I'm feeling, but I don't have to live and die by that feeling. And I Exactly. You know, more naturally, we even just being outside, if we lived closer to nature, we would have walked around, the wind would have blown, we would have felt it on our face and been like, okay, you know what, I'm upset, but I'm, you know, I'm connecting to nature, I'm, I'm understanding how I'm feeling, I'm venting it. So it is interesting how the thing that's making us stressed out is also part of the lifestyle that we're in now where we don't take a pause, we don't, you know, just have a moment. We don't really consider how to articulate our words. Things are done in emojis. I mean, we just can send a picture, you know, things like that. So I, I think that's interesting. I, I guess to start, you know, there's people that you deal with that have, let's say the most serious would be an actual physical brain injury. That's, that's something else. Then you have people who've had real like trauma, uh, you know, a sexual trauma or something where they're dealing with, with that. I think what I'm curious about is the invisible that I feel so many young people, this looming anxiety that's all around us all the time that is making people, you know, so dysregulated. What's different about the brain in that type of, you know, unknown anxiety versus 
sort of an, an actual event that people can often point to, which probably holds them back in another way, right? Like you can go, well, I was like this because yeah, this person sure. assaulted me. Exactly. So maybe we could just kind of differentiate that scenario because I don't know, do you have people that come to you? I'm sure you do. And they, and you just feel like they go, yeah, I'm just anxious. And it's sort of, that's it. And it, it's like, well, we're, we're all anxious instead, you know, I, what do you do when someone really has bought into, oh, I have OCD, I have HDA, you know, ADHD, and I'm, I have anxiety and social anxiety when maybe they just need this, these skills. How do you approach someone like that? Okay. So such a loaded and excellent question. And the, 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 statement you said that kind of led into a question of we we need more mental space we need more time we need to take more time that is so related to this angst that the zeitgeist of angst that is hovering around everyone the speed of at which the the big challenge that we face that we need to manage is the speed of access to data the speed at which things happen and that's taken away that that ability to slow down and it's that's exactly what I was speaking about in the beginning. So you've hit the nail right on the head. Is that this the big thing that society needs to learn to work on? Besides the big traumas. So if we take a scale, let me do it like this. If you've got the number line from one to ten, so you've got the numbers one through ten. One, two, three would be the daily, even one and two, like little irritation, traffic, a minor argument with a spouse, just an irritating little stuff that happens, like a plumber arriving late or something like that and having to move from. That's a little irritation, but it's not a big trauma. I just, you know, it's, that's it. okay. The middle stuff is this general anxiety, angst that can creep, build into, it's also hab- habits that we form that we, we react in certain ways. We don't control how we react. We just, because of the busyness of life, we fall into patterns that don't have a trauma base. They just, because something happened in that moment, we responded like that and we don't take time to process, mm, was that really such the best, was that the best way of reacting? Because the next thing's happening, the next thing's happening, the next life's happening. And 95%, Gabby, it's actually amazing, 95% of what we as humans are facing each day is absorbed into our networks non-consciously. We're only actually conscious of about 5%. So that general anxiety of speed of things happening so fast, like before the internet, when people wrote letters, it took time for a letter to get to you. Yeah. If a child was bullied, they got bullied at school, they went home, there was a gap of a few hours before they were back in that bullying. Now they bullied all day long because of social connection. So what that's creating this general anxiety, this general angst, the zeitgeist of so much stuff coming at me, how do I process all of this? Because our mind is and brain and our body, our network is loves knowledge so we naturally we we sponges we want to absorb it but you have to absorb and you have to decide what you need to focus on and you have to be very selective because you can't remember everything we're not supposed to it's protective in our brain to cut things out but we i like this i want that i want you know you can go down rabbit trails so quickly on 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 internet looking for stuff you can go here 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 and it's overwhelming so that ability that we have as humans we've lost to a certain extent which is to stand back observe ourselves, say, okay, there's 500 articles here about something I'm very interested in, plus there's a million other things going on, plus there's all this inside of myself. I need to stand back and say, okay, I'm interested in this. I'm going to read five articles about this. I'm going to do it at this time. I'm going to do it in this way. And I'm going to spend the time thinking, where's this uneasiness coming from? I'm going to stop for a moment and think, okay, this sense of unease, unease that I have in me, where's this coming from and you can do that with the neurocycle i feel this 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 mm-hmm. why and if we took the time it doesn't take long 
it, it takes long to train yourself to do it. So it'll take you about nine weeks to get into the habit. But when you do that, my, my thesis would be to say, if you don't do this, that general angst that is the majority of your daily life because of the speed of life currently, if that is not managed, that will throw you into the, into the zone where you feel like you're burnt out, overwhelmed, can't cope. That's why there's so much move to listen to birds, go into nature, go for a walk. I've had to learn, like all of us, I've had to learn, even though I'm in the field, I've had to train myself. We live at most of the time at the ocean. We live right on the beach. To If something comes up that works me up, maybe with a family member, or all my kids work with me. So it's me and my husband. So we are, you know, we've got another, we've got a big, we've got other people as well, but we are, our core team is family. So we're living and working together. And they don't all live at home, but they're always somehow, you know, we have a base that we are meeting every, every three months for a whole month. We, we, together for an entire month. I've always got one of the kids with me in Miami because we're always working on different projects. We do big research studies. So in other words, what it's, there's a lot of opportunity to get worked up, a lot. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, very often my old thing would be to react quickly, but I've had to learn, okay, let me take the time to process. Let me actually go down to the beach and walk on the beach. I'm not saying you don't have to, you have to do this on a beach. You can just go in your in another room. You can just go to the the chair, there's the neurocycle corner. Yeah. It's the point of disciplining yourself and your kids to manage this massive information. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. The AI, this, the, and this social media, the connect, the potential, if it's managed, is going to be, is, is fantastic, but it's not being managed. And that'll create the sense of anxiety and hovering anxiety. And the biomedical model of mental health has made it worse because instead of taking the time to say, Maybe that could be based on the fact that I have just read 500 articles in a row on this political situation. Plus, I've spent another two hours looking at social media and looking at everyone else's lives and thinking minds and stuff up. And I've also didn't resolve that argument that I had with my best friend. And, and, and I've just kind of carried on buzzing from one thing to the next. That's making me feel depressed. Does it mean I have clinical depression, which doesn't even exist, by the way? I, and I'm not. More, I'm not saying something that is not, I'm not um, deriding someone who's extremely depressed. Clinical depression actually does, if the word takes away the hugeness of it, it makes it something little. And it, it, it's, it, I'm saying don't diagnose, describe. So if you just diagnose and say clinical depression, boom, you put it aside. That's not going to help you. But if you describe, it's much more attention being paid. You're giving it much more value and more validation. Mm -hmm. So you, I'm feeling very depressed or I'm feeling very anxious. I feel like I'm something's wrong with me. I feel like I can't cope or I'm falling apart. I can't get out of bed. We don't want to label that. We want to describe that. We want to go through the process. Okay, what's the information? Let's describe. Let's find the information. Let's go through the process of discovery. Let's be curious. Let's get to the to the root cause, which could just be, oh, my gosh, I've just done too much. Yeah. I just, my active reach is let me take the time. Let me try and choose this much, spend this much time, then that's the kind of thing. Break it down into how am I going to manage my time? What's interesting is with children, it's like you have to make the rules. I think, you know, my youngest, I know your children are a little bit older. Well, they're sprinkled out, but my youngest is in 11th grade. And, you know, this is an interesting time because I, I'm not in her pocket. You know, this is an independent person that you are now letting the leash out because you're actually, I always say, I want all the leash letting out while they're still living at home. I don't want to send them for the first time in college with the leash let out. It's like, exactly. you know, do it when you're at home. I want to see how you're reacting, acting. I want to see you when you come home from being out, things like that. However, the, the battle 
with the telephone, um, I'm going to be really honest. I've come to a point where I've practically given up in a certain way. And I focused on, she gets, she manages herself. She takes care of herself. So her own personal well-being, right? Her health, her cleanliness, mm-hmm. um, her emotionality, it seems pretty regulated. Um, she's very cl- a clear communicator. She gets, she has healthy social environment. She's on her phone too much, period. Like I know this. And so honestly, I have to tell you, this has been something that we have conversations about, but because it is an addiction, it's an addiction for all of us. This is the part where I go, oh, it's going to be fascinating to see how she goes as an adult. And all I try to do, um, and I'll share this, my husband was away. So her and I went out to dinner together um, instead of cooking at home. And I, I always leave, I try my best to leave my phone in the car when I go to eat with friends or family. I just, you know, just mm-hmm. leave it away. And she had her phone with her. But for 90 minutes, her phone was turned down and on the chair. She never looked at it one time. So it also made me think, okay, don't be unrealistic. There's going to be damage to this kid because she grew up with technology in some way. And then the best hope I could have besides trying to lay a framework is to try to be the best example I can be. Because after that, I, I, I really do at times feel powerless to this thing. It is scary being a parent. Because we want to we want to bubble wrap and control, but we can't. We, oh. The only thing we can do is facilitate. Yeah. And that's why we've got to that's also one of the reasons I brought this book out now, is because if we can be proactive from young and teach kids as young as two and yeah. three to start managing the impact of their lives. If you've noticed, I've said a lot of how am I showing up? Yeah. You know, and that's the regulation, co-regulation, regulation, et cetera. And then knowing that, okay, if I show, if being able to read the signals, I've been on social media for three out five hours. I haven't spoken to my mom. Or I'm trying to have a connection with my mom at dinner time. But I put that, you want her to learn those skills of being able to manage that herself. And that is always a challenge. It's always going to be difficult, but that's not something that you can make them do. But you can have conversations yeah. and you can explain that, you know, this is what's happening this is what Dr. Leaf said. Just take it away, blame someone else. This is what, um, what this, when I work with adolescents, I don't work clinically anymore because I just take all this research and I advise people a different way now through media and I mean, whatever, so on. But you can, what you can tell a, like an adolescent is for them to understand that this is what's happening inside of what drives you and that that then plays out into your future. So you can't change what's happened to you or what you're doing, it's happened if you've been on social media constantly and been on your phone constantly. But you can, but that has changed what you look like inside of you and that is driving you. And, and there is research showing that if you just constantly jump around like that, it creates a lot of disturbance in the networks, mm-hmm. which then can make you feel this level of anxiety. And then you think there's something wrong with you. You go on TikTok, which tells you that there is something wrong with you. You go, you know, it's like, and you know, you've got ADHD and I mean, everyone's got ADHD at the moment, everyone, because it's not a, is this a, it's, yeah, it's, 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 there's some more information. Is this a wiring situation? So if, do we have an entire generation of young people for the most part, if they're sort of living like this, that literally they can't concentrate as long? Because then I think about having to communicate with a person, work out a conflict, express an emotion. These things take time and sometimes they're not that sexy. Do, is this group, is the, is the circuitry kind of different? And also by doing this nine weeks and sort of having this practice, do we get to lay down these new longer pathways? 
Yes. So what we do is if we have, because um, we've literally become like an ADHD society. So ADHD, once again, is not a diagnosis. It's a description. And if you are going to constantly going to be stimulated by a lot of information and you don't give your networks time to lay down a foundation, we, we design for deep understanding. We're not designed for surface level knowledge. Surface level knowledge constantly being input will disrupt the pathways. And that's what's not being managed. So we need to teach our kids, you know, do this for a certain amount of time, but choose something and spend the time. You can counterbalance the network that is wiring in by focusing in on something because it's if you just stay in that pathway, yeah. yes, it will result in a change, but it doesn't, and we will adapt. And that adaption won't necessarily be a good adaption, adaptation, I should say. But if we, if we, it's a simple thing, and I've done the research on this. There's a lot of research out there. If you can, let's say that I've said this a few times in terms of concentrate, select 500 articles. I use that. That's a big number. But if you have looked at um, seven people's Instagrams in the last five minutes, just choose one. Eliminate the others, choose one, whatever, maybe whatever grabbed your attention or something, and then focus on that one. Then focus on how is it making you feel? Mm. Is it affecting your behaviors? How does it feel in your body? You know, just do a little quick neurocycle on what is that doing to you? How is it affecting? And then and part of that in the recheck, the fourth step, do I like how it's making me feel? And if you don't, then you say, okay, why? What's it doing? What's the information I'm getting from here? What's And if you do that little evaluation, you may decide, okay, I actually don't want to follow I don't want to look at that again because if I look at that, it's doing this to me and it's not good for me. It's not good for my health. But if I look at that one, I actually feel I'm laughing, I'm happy, I'm excited, I feel connected. Okay, that's the one that you spend some time on and focus on that. You know, go read what's being said and read. In other words, go deep, go a little bit deeper. Go down, don't just do this. And then you can help counterbalance those networks. And that you can teach a child from young. You can teach them to do this. Because two, three, four-year-olds, they're already getting consumed by, you know, if they watch a TV show, if they've watched it for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes, while they're watching, give them Lego. Let them play with Lego. Let them draw so that you make them do something like that while they're working and then stop them and talk about it to them. Make dinner and say, tell me about your show. So they have to go back in their mind and do some deep analysis. They're three years old. They're doing deep analysis at three. That's excellent. Also counterbalance the TV and all these kinds of things that can make us um, affect our attention, make us more hyperactive. It's not a disorder, but it becomes an adaptation that's negative. Um, it doesn't mean that you suddenly got this viral thing of undiagnosed ADHD, which is what the languaging is. It's not. That's not what's happening. Yeah. It's just the management of how we're managing this. We can counterbalance that. And one of the quickest ways is reading. And that's reading and getting a, reading big chapter books and that imagination that develops. And you could read that to the child. You could, as a family, you could read. It was a top requirement on my, um, my prescription list. You have to read. You have to read out loud to your kids. You have to read yourself. Your child has to read books. That is so critical in balancing and getting yourself to think in a way that will counterbalance that fastness. And so you will adapt. We are different to the previous generation. Our kids are going to be different. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Right. If you're balancing it, there's a scale, if you can keep it balanced. This episode is brought to you by Ritual. I've personally been using Ritual for over three years. I really appreciate this brand and they have a great offer for you today. So did you know, I just found this out, that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? 
Well, the exciting thing is now you have companies like Ritual coming in and saying, all right, we want to know. They conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18-plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy. And guess what the results were? It increases vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41%, and that was just in 12 weeks. The other incredible thing about them is all of their multivitamins are made with high quality and traceable key nutrients in clean bioavailable forms, which means your body can actually absorb the nutrients. And with nine key nutrients in just two capsules per day, their unique beadlet, the way they do it, it's time release. So whether you take it on an empty stomach or you have food, it will never upset your stomach. And all of their ingredients are soy-free, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and formulated without GMOs. I know that it's hard to figure out like, hey, what will my body be able to use? Where do these ingredients come from? Everything is traceable and they do all their due diligence. And a nice little bonus is it has a minty aftertaste after you take the vitamin. Ritual is all about data and facts. And if you want to get to know your nutrients on a deeper level with 20% off during your first month, all you have to do is visit ritual.com slash Gabby to start your ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash Gabby. This podcast is brought to you by Quince. Summer is still here. Maybe you want to upgrade your wardrobe a little bit. Well, before I share anything with you, I try it myself. And I got a pair of black linen pants from Quince. I actually wore them last night. I just threw it on with a t-shirt. Really easy, comfortable, but such high quality. I'm not into fast fashion. Even a lot of times I'll go on to the sites where they have used fashion because I'm trying to also figure out, hey, how do I not contribute to all of the waste that fashion does? And so what I love is getting things that I keep. And you can spend your money wisely with Quince on high quality essentials that'll go way beyond the season that you're going to keep, but they're really quite luxurious. They've got incredible items for you. For me, I had the 100% linen pants. They were under $50. They've got mulberry silk skirts and even Italian leather bags and 14 karat jewelry. You can't believe the savings. So all their prices are 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And because Quince creates timeless classic styles, they won't go out of fashion. So you'll have them in your closet and use them over and over. And I know you're probably wondering like, yeah, okay, how do they do that? Well, they partner directly with the top factories, cut out the middlemen, and then pass that savings on to you. And what's even better and really important to me is they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices with that premium, eco-friendly fabrics and finishes. So you will feel good about getting high-quality items that last longer. They have a great deal for you if you want to upgrade your closet this summer with Quince. Right now, go to Quince. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E. So head to Quince dot com slash Gabby to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince, Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gabby for free shipping and a 365 day return. Quince.com slash Gabby. Make sure to check out those linen pants I have. This podcast is brought to you by Mosh. I love this brand because not only do they have something that supports your brain, I don't know about you, but as much as I train my body, I'm always aware that my brain is my number one tool and they're on a mission. So Mosh is an incredible bar 
that supports your body and brain. They've got six delicious flavors. My personal favorite, no surprise, peanut butter, chocolate crunch. And each mosh bar includes 12 grams of protein and is made with ingredients that support brain health. Things like ashwagandha, lion's mane, collagen, and omega-3s. And at 160 calories and only one gram of sugar, mosh protein bars are the guilt-free snack that, again, not only supports your body, but your brain. So let's say you're on the go just in day-to-day life or on your way to the gym. Whatever it is, mosh protein bars will keep your brain and body fit fueled and feeling good. The other thing, besides the incredible ingredients and the multiple flavors, it's founded by Patrick Schwarzenegger and his mom, Maria Shriver. And Mosh is a mission-driven brain health and wellness company that donates a portion of all the proceeds to support women's brain research through the Women's Alzheimer's Movement at Cleveland Clinic. So they have an incredible offer for you today. You don't need to settle for a mediocre snack when you can nourish your body and mind with the fuel it needs to succeed and do some good. So whether, like I said, you're at the gym, you're on the go, Mosh Protein Bars will keep your brain and body fit. All you have to do is head to moshlife.com slash Gabby to save 20% off plus free shipping on your first six count trial pack. That's 20% off plus free shipping on your first six count trial pack, which includes all six delicious flavors. That's mosh, M-O-S-H-L-I-F-E.com slash Gabby. This podcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. I don't think this timing could be more perfect. As fall is coming in and we're going to start getting busier, maybe kids are going back to school. I think the constant question of what's for dinner, what do you want for dinner? I know that I am saying this seven days a week. And what I love about HelloFresh is not only do they make it so convenient to cook what you want, sort of control those ingredients and portions, but they also make it less expensive. I mean, HelloFresh is 25% cheaper than home delivery. And I think for all of us who are busy, but trying to be more conscious about our food, they offer an incredible solution. Not only that, but if you want meat and veggies, if you only want veggies, you can do family-friendly. It's quick and easy, which I know sometimes those things sound in conflict, but they really send everything and make it so simple for you to get those best ingredients and get everything for everybody. They even have a pescatarian option. So it's that specific, not to mention besides their 100 add-on items, so you can really customize what your family likes. They even have snacks. You know, the joke is like, does it feel like everybody's eating all the time? Well, they can accommodate that too. And they have an incredible offer for you today. All you have to do is go to hellofresh.com and put in slash 50 Gabby Reese. That's right. Use the code 50 Gabby Reese at checkout for 50% off plus free shipping. You know, I think one of the concerns about trying to eat healthy is cost. And this is something that I'm very sensitive to. It's like, I'm pushing this message, hey, we want you to eat as healthy as you can, but cost is always a consideration. And HelloFresh really accommodates that. So you've got your kids going back to school and you're working really hard and HelloFresh really can support you in your quest for eating better, but not compromising that delicious taste and customizing it to exactly what you and your family enjoy. So again, go to HelloFresh.com put in slash 50 Gabby Reese, or just use the code 50 Gabby Reese for 50% off plus free shipping. What I love about HelloFresh besides the customization is they can do this because they're America's number one meal kit. 
This podcast is brought to you by Ritual. I personally have been taking their Essential for Women 18 plus multivitamin since the pandemic began. I was just looking for a really great multivitamin and I love the fact that it has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Because for me, if you're going to, and if I'm going to share it with you, put your resources, whether it's your time or money towards something, you want to know, hey, not only do they have best practices, but this is actually going to do something for me. And 97% of women ages 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet. It's hard to do. And I like to get as much as I can from my diet, but that is why I take a multivitamin. And Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. The other thing is they take nine key nutrients in two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption. So I think one of the things is, is like, oh, is it an empty stomach? Is it a full stomach? Well, because they, the way that they've done these capital, capsules, it's dental on an empty stomach. And at the end, you get this nice little minty essence in every bottle. So for a lot of people, sometimes these are the things that keep them from taking multis and making it easy and being able to enjoy it, whether it's timing or I don't like the after burps. And the other thing about it is ritual multivitamins are vegan. They're non-GMO project verified gluten and major allergen free, and they are certified B Corp. And like I said earlier, everything is made traceable and they have a wonderful offer for you today. So all you have to do, you don't have any more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. You'll get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash Gabby. If you want to start your ritual, or you can add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today, that's ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash Gabby for 25% off. This podcast is brought to you by Babbel. I don't know about you, but every time I travel, I kick myself that I haven't spent more time learning whatever language it is in the place that I'm visiting. It's like you want to connect with the people in a real way. Well, immersion, you know, that's the best way. But most of us can't move somewhere and, and you know live there and learn the language, even though that's number one. But number two is with Babbel. And the reason that is, is first of all, they have, it's really quick. They've got 10-minute lessons, and but they're handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. But what I love about it is it's designed by real people for real conversations. It's like, listen, we all want to know like, talk about food and directions and things like that. And Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real life situations and delivered with conversation-based teaching. So you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. And that's the other thing I love is just combining that because you think, okay, maybe using a trip that you have planned or getting together with family somewhere, using that as your motivation to get going. And you don't have to pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that maybe don't really even help you, you know, speak a new language. In fact, a study showed, there was one study, they did studies at Yale, Michigan State, that Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours, that's nothing, is equivalent to a full semester at college. They've got over 16 million subscribers sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. So here's the incredible offer for a special limited-time deal for our listeners right now, you can get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash Gabby. So to get 50% off, 
at babbel.com slash Gabby. That's babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Gabby. Some rules and restrictions may apply. Are you noticing any differences with, you know, boys and girls, boy brains and girl brains? Are you seeing this anything in these? I don't do direct research in um, male female brain research because it's a very, very controversial area. Um, and it's one of those areas that needs a tremendous amount of depth and research. It's also not my area. But in terms of, I'd rather look at the human and uniqueness. Yeah. But we do see certain patterns. Yeah. And, and it, but, it's, but you're seeing it in, in girls and boys and trans and everywhere. When whatever's the trend, whatever you focus on, whatever you think about the most and focus on the most, that's going to grow. And the biggest key thing is, you know, there's certain things that like body image is, it tends to seem to affect girls more, but it also affects trans, it also affects males. Yeah. Um, so that is, it's, it's really what you're focusing on is the big key issue. Um, and, you know, the, people will argue with me and say that there are definite patterns, but I think we need to rather look at the uniqueness of a human yeah. in context and what they're being exposed to at that point of time. So you might have one school mm. where there's a contagious effect where certain things are focused on, and that's what consumes the kids in that moment, and that can affect. And so I'd, uh, I think it's more accurate scientifically and more fair to say um, that it's the unique individual. How's everyone responding differently to that? And then that will come through whatever, however you identify and so on. Um, I think it's an easier way to do so that we don't lump people into categories, yep. which can happen so easily. Do you notice, um, so for example, you know, there's obviously different learning styles. We all learn differently. Effective. Yeah. Um, yeah. Infinite number so of if, learning if styles. If I'm a parent or an educator or, or um, I'm just curious how, maybe how one would identify I've used this analogy a Such lot. Such a good I, question. I, yeah, because, I, well, I've used this also even their emotionality, right? Like I have, I'm thinking about one daughter is very empathetic and one is is maybe would be more logical. And so even the way I appeal to them about certain things, I understand their their particular language, never mind their learning style. So if you're a parent or an educator, what do you, how do you, what's the best way for us to approach you know, kind of working with them within their framework of how they learn and what makes sense to them? Lovely question. And basically, I call that customized thinking. And so there's around about close to 9 billion people on the planet, which means that there's close to 9 billion different customized thinking patterns. So that uniqueness of how each of us thinks, feels and chooses is so different. So you've got multiple listeners listening to this show. You've got, well, you've got, I think, three kids. Is that right? Mm -hmm. You've got three children. Three daughters, yeah. Okay. So all different. Everyone's different. We know that. That's not something that that's new. So if we do a personality test or profile or something like that, and you and you get your type this or a type that, it's a it may give you information because there's this huge desire to understand ourselves and to get more knowledge. Two different things. We want to understand ourselves and we want knowledge about ourselves. So knowledge and understanding of ourselves are two different things. And the knowledge is is basically understand is a is a knowledge of who I am, what I like, what I feel, etc. that kind of stuff. So it's the, but understanding is how do I actually think and feel and choose about these situations? So that complex stuff, what I try to do in my practice, and, and I put this into books, and I do have a book where you can do a, a profile that I call the gift profile, 
which is it used to be very long and I've shortened that and it's all validated and all that kind of thing. Um, and it's basically is, is a way that you can try to understand how you uniquely think, feel and choose. But there's no pattern that's going to be like someone else's pattern because you each have your own. And that's very useful. I used to do that with my patients in, in the practice and family therapy and select that's all adults, whatever. It's so important to understand your customized thinking, the unique way that you think, feel and choose. But if you don't ever get access to it, this particular profile. I can give you the link of the book that it's in and we're actually building it into our app. We're going to have a children's version as well. So it'll, it'll all be over, it's all in our plan. So it'll eventually all be inside of our app, which is a whole community we're building for this, all these concepts. In the meantime, what you can do is think of your, each of your children, you can ask them, how do you think and feel and choose around this concept? So you may be having a conversation about I don't know, whatever, something that happened at school, something that happened in your family or something that's topical. And if you just go around the table and just say, you know, how do you think and feel and choose? How do you think, feel and choose? How do you think? And they could even write that down. And you could do that over a period of time with a few scenarios. And you'll start seeing, you'll start tuning in and understanding a little bit more. Mm. The profile that I've developed will give you a nice little guideline of how to to tune in and it's, you know, because it's, it's all like a little, it's, but it's, it's not a profile that you fill in and get a category because everyone's their own. There's the only type you, you don't, there's only one Gabby. So you can't be in a category. You are your own category. And that's the idea. And that's what you want to just try. So those three questions, how do you think, feel and choose yeah. around this? What are the choices you'd make? will give you quite a lot of nice insight as a good starting place. It is interesting where you have certain relationships, whether it's with yourself, fa- friends or children, where, Listening is better. Asking a very kind of approaching question is better. They're also different. Like one person may need to be invited to communicate. One is wants to tell you, but just listen, you know, like I'm going to talk. Don't ask me, you know, a bunch of questions. Questions. It's so interesting with, with everything coming at, you know, the internet has a lot of things on it that, you know, it's, it is, it's dangerous. And, um, I see. Mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, do you have kind of set in place? Because that's the other thing is I know that in a way we're not self-regulated, obviously. I mean, I, I think as adults, you, you really have to make deliberate choices, but to ask a child, an adolescent or a teenager to be like, don't look at that. And I don't know. I think it's an interesting dance. Do you have any tips on sort of safety and technology? Yeah, you've highlighted the key thing there. If you tell them not to do it, they're going to do it. So it's a, it's a conversation to say, okay, whatever you do, I'm not judging you, but I want to help you process this. So if something is making you feel uncomfortable, I, I'm a safe space where you can come and show me what you're looking at and let me help you understand. It's together. Let's explore why this is potentially something that's dangerous. And having those conversations that your, your adult, you know, children that are sort of adolescents and even younger I'd say that you know your two to ten year olds don't know that stuff, so it's 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 good to make them aware of hey, there's some bad stuff out there, yeah. and you it's always good to come and check and discuss and ask and make it you know because if you start it young, it's easy they'll continue doing it for the rest of their life. If you haven't ever done that with an adolescent, it's not that easy to do that with a teenager or an adolescent. But if you show them, you start the process by saying, hey, I don't know what this means because there's language and there's con- these. I mean, my kids are. They between twenty four and thirty two. Yeah. Every day they tell you, well, not every day, but often enough, they're telling me there's this concept, and I say, what is that? Oh, this is this trend on mm-hmm. TikTok, and it means this. So I let them teach me. 
So therefore, they're very happy for me to teach them. See, that's the thing. So I've started that from very young. I've let them, hey, what did, what, tell, can you, can you, can you give me advice? Can you teach me something? So I've, and I, and I genuinely have tried to, uh, it's, it's, it, what, what I'm, without trying to say I'm the perfect mom, I'm not. I, we all mess up our kids. I own the fact that I've, that I've probably messed up my kids and they've told me we've, we've worked through neurocycles to fix it up. But what I am saying is that I've created an environment where I've taught my kids to think and to challenge and also to say sorry, that I'll say sorry, but also for them to be able to give me advice mm-hmm. that they can teach me. I've made it very clear that I've learned things from them and I acknowledge that. I said, I learned this from you. This is, this is something you taught me. I didn't know this. I didn't see it in this direction. And you just do that once or twice with an adolescent and a teenager, uh, anyone, anyone sort of from 11 onwards, which is the sort of where things can become quite challenging as a, as a parent. They will have a lot of respect for that. And then they'll say, then I said, you know, let's talk about these things. And I, I heard this the other day and I read this the other day. Have you come across anything like this? I'm not judging you. If you've looked at these things, I get it. These And, and do you know how the algorithms work? Do you know that they actually commodify yeah. your views? And do you understand that? You know, teach that to these kids. Teach that, like even the toys that are AI, mine's not AI, yeah. but these toys that have got, or have talk to the kids but they are tracking the kinds of conversations and responses and that's being commodified yeah. to say things back to your child to sell you more stuff if you tell a nine-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old that your thoughts are being turned into money for another company are you comfortable with that mm. you know your the algorithms play on what you're looking at the most it's going to feed you what you're looking at have those conversations get educated if you don't understand it as a parent get Go read something. Go and look at a YouTube. Speak to someone who. How does the how do the algorithms work? You know, get knowledge so that you can then have these conversations with your kids. It's education oh. and it's collaborative education because we're actually all learning this together. You know, there's a lot coming up in the future, and we don't need to be scared of it. We need to mind manage it, which goes back to what we started the conversation with. Yeah. When you look at some of the, just looking at the data, is there? And some of the trials that you've researched, are, is there anything that you're, you know, got you feeling optimistic coming out of this in a way that young people are are different or thinking different? And I know that the idea of emotions and talking about emotions, that they've definitely taken the taboo off of that, you know? Yes, that's been great. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's great too, but I, I also think that it's a weird it's line. Everything like, you spoke about. You still have to go to work and you might be having a bad day. It's like this weird blend. Exactly. That's what we spoke about in the beginning. Yeah. You can't just get the plane take off. <laughs> right. You can't just talk about your emotions. Like, okay, now life owes me and I don't need to do anything else. So we do have to teach them, yes, you do feel this way. Yes. So let's work through that or you work through that and your active reach step five of the neurocycle is what am I going to do now to get me through the day? Cause I've got to go to work. Yeah. I can't just stay in bed all day and hope my boss will give me a day off every five days and I go to work one day a week or whatever, yeah. you know, and that may not be the case. And I potentially exaggerating there. So from that side, that's very important. And that's our role as, you know, as generations need to interact and learn from each other. Yeah. We can learn so much from this generation from Gen Z, for example, that everyone, dumps on so much they are so broad-minded they are so accepting they are so willing to look at other perspectives and they stay real philosophers and that is an excellent 
quality that we can learn from as old as older generations. Yeah. But we as older generations understand maybe a bit more practicality of how to move forward with these great philosophies. How can we make them practical? How can we so and every definitely if you go to Target, for example, and you just look at the children's books, and you'll just see tons of books on how to feel, the feeling thing. You've got to teach yourself and your kids. I can't just say, I feel sad. Now what? Why do you feel sad? What are you going to do about that sadness? What can we do? Where is it coming from? That's what's missing. And that processing time that we need to focus on, that's, that's where the gap is. And that's, you know, the mind management cycle that I believe is missing. So I think there's a lot of hope. Yeah. And, and I, and I, and I see a very positive reaction from Gen Zers to the sorts of things that that we're talking about now they're very into they love this whole neuroscience stuff it really is a great way to appeal to gen z and gen alpha um, and even millennials it's a great way to appeal to them and say hey look this is what you can do to drive your networks to help you create drivers inside of yourself that will help you get a level of acceptance and you you talk about you know obviously besides the neurocycle and these practices you you do talk about kind of positive practices like gratitude and and sort of these other external yes. adjuncts that it, if we can incorporate them, it really does support our mental health. Absolutely. So think of the neurocycle as a system within which it's a vehicle within which you can put anything. So things like gratitude, that's something you have to wire into your brain. So just having a gratitude journal, if you do it every day for 63 days, there's a good chance you're going to shift your neurophysiology in the right direction. So that's a decision you, that's, so you, in other words, you can build it in as a habit. And it takes a lot of the work I do is how long does it actually take to form a habit? That is not just a habit that's nice to do, but a habit that actually shows up in how you function. And that takes a minimum of 63 days and it's working at it daily. So a lot of the, uh, a lot of the work I do with, with a neurocycle is brain building and gratitude and thankfulness and, um, how you, t- t- watching how you wake up in the morning. All of those still, all of those practices still fit within the framework because the framework of the neurocycle, the method is, is just a name for how you wire that in. So if I want to be grateful, if I want to be thankful, if I want more appreciation of, of small things in life, if I want to learn how to slow down, I'm going to have to wire the network because the network is what drives you as a human. So if you don't follow the rules of the network, you can do all the gratitude practices, all the positive affirmations, and they won't be sustainable. They'll just, at some point, you'll, they'll backfire and you'll feel, but I'm doing all of this. Why do I still feel so depressed? Oh, there's something wrong with my brain. I've got something, I've got a disease of the brain. You don't have a disease of your brain. You're just in this very challenging time with so much information as we've been discussing. And these practices like gratitude and so on teach you how to slow down and teach you how to go deep again. And, a pre, and, and that's a brain-building activity that unmasks our natural resilience. So I always recommend to people, like I do a lot of work with teachers, and we did a big study um, about a year ago, more or less 18 months ago. We did a study with a whole lot of teachers in New York. It was 350 boroughs, so it reached thousands of teachers. And one of the things we worked on was to actually do for nine weeks was to practice building joy into their lives because joy has gone out of teaching in this day and age with all the challenges of COVID and the things that are happening yeah. and the terrible pay that they get and all the factors. And we did like a, a neurocycle optimization brain building set where you just did the five steps that you build joy into your life. And by the end of those 63 days, there was a significant change in their wellness and their mental well-being. So that's just an example of many things. So yeah. 
It's not that I'm saying don't do any of the other techniques. I'm saying do all the stuff out there. But if you want change, put it into the network properly. Does that, does that, is that sort of clear? Oh, it makes, you know, I always say you can have all the knowledge if you don't have a practice, whatever it is. You won't use it. it. Is it exercise? Is it communication? Is it your mental, you know, your neuro pathways? These are all practices. Exactly. You, you wrote a book, 101 Ways to Be Less Stressed. You know, is there sort of any points, three or four points in there that really, feel extra important to you? I know they're all important, but are there the, just some reminders? Gosh, I'm trying to, that was a couple of years back. So it, listen, everything in there is, there's there certain things, I think, I, I don't think I said these exact words, but I said, because um, I'd have to pull the book out. Mm-hmm. Essentially, the reason I chose those, and it was very hard to choose those 101 because there's so many different things. Um, there's a couple of places where I've said things to this effect, like you can't control your events and circumstances, but you can control your reactions. And, you can't change what's happened to you, but you can change how it plays out into your future. You know, and that's and, and the another thing we should be thinking. I think I said it in there. That these aren't the exact words, but it's paraphrased. Mm-hmm. Um, things like in talking about your future, the present moment is very real to us. The past doesn't seem as important, but be very ho- focused on the future. But how you are today, because often we'll say, you know, in the future I'm going to do all of this, this, and this, but for now I can't do it. How you do it now is going to be what the future looks like. Yeah. You know, so to think of that kind of concept that what I do with my time now is going to influence how the future plays out. And that's something maybe to think about because as you hear it, you may think, well, I think I'm doing that, but are you doing that? Are you thinking, okay, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that next month. Um, I can't fit that in now. And that's okay. If you, I'm not talking about time management. I'm talking about um, the way you're looking at where you want to be in the future, the way you're looking at how you see yourself tomorrow you may be thinking well I'll get that right tomorrow for now I just you know I can't do anything I'm just stuck here and this is who I am try to start bringing tomorrow into today because otherwise tomorrow will just never come yeah. and you know today and that's where I, I talk about lifelong mind management self-regulation how am I showing up now giving yourself grace it's okay to be a mess even if it's just I'm showing up as a mess I'm such a mess I don't even know where to that's a great start totally. You know, and be kind to yourself in the process. It's okay. Let's start there and then let's start working slowly but surely towards, okay, well, what is the mess? What does it look like? How would you, you know, and, and get that sort of going. And, and there's a lot of this concept is in that book. Yep. There's little tips on how you can take the moment and make the most of it. Dr. Leaf, you know, I, I can't help but think about, it brings up two points for me. One is I often think about who who am I trying to be and who am I also trying to become? And in the moments, I'm like, what would she say or do? Because the person right now wants to like burn the barn down, you know? And and rather than letting her do that, I think, okay, who is it I'm trying to be or and or become? And what would be the action or the word, you know, that that person would do? And that that has really helped me sort of like that. not do scorched earth and have to go back and be like, Oh, sorry. You know, <laughs> that's never, that's great. I love that. And, and that's something that's, those are the kinds of skills that, that we can teach our children and teach yeah. ourselves as we practice things. And then to be open and authentic about that and say that your girls, or even if it's a child who's four or five is, you know, that lesson that you've learned, you, you can just put it into the appropriate language yeah. and share that with They're them. They're smart. Cause the greatest way to help children with their mental health is, to demonstrate it with your own life. Yeah. And that it's, you don't arrive. You can speak to this. You have all more information on how to do it than anyone. 
we don't get there. We're just working on it every day. And I think that's so important exactly. for people so that when it shows up, whatever, in ever, whichever way, you don't beat yourself up or think, oh, you've slid back 19 steps. It's like, no, you're fine. We're just still, pra- we're all practicing. Exactly. We do these. It's a lifelong journey. For I think that's the whole that that's the exciting part is like this opportunity, whatever age we are to do it even better. But we do these events, my husband and I uh, with XPT, and we have a lot of high performing people uh, come and do two and a half days. And it's very hard and difficult. And a lot of times these very strong type A high performing individuals will ask me, well, how do you quiet the monkey mind? Oh, you're not good enough. And how come you couldn't do that? And I was like, oh, it's so interesting. I recognize when I didn't do it the way I want to or fail, but I don't know that I beat myself up that way. But I don't always know, like when I hear that, I think, oh, what would be something that would be productive to share with them? Because I realize a lot of people have that going on where they're, let's say you look at them and they're high, hard charging and high achieving and simultaneously really doing a number on themselves. Yeah, that critical self-talk, it's that intrusive thoughts, 90, what is something like 90% of people, or 99 actually, of percent of people are battling with negative self-talk. Yeah. See that intrusive thought, and, and I've taught this to kids as young as two and three, and I actually put this in the, my most recent books. I'm very glad you raised this question. As uh, Intrusive thoughts are your new best friend. So those things that are coming up, that monk, that's often called the monkey mind and that kind of thing. It's, it's like mischievous. That's the idea. It's like it's all over the place. It's disrupting me. It's disruptive. That's the whole concept of when they use the term mischievous mind and self-critical talk, I mean, critical self-talk and that kind of thing. Shift the whole perspective. Intrusive thoughts are your new best friend. Why? Because if you pay, take the time to focus on what they are telling you, you'll find a bunch of information that actually is pretty useful and will help you reconstruct how you're looking at yourself. But if you just shove them down, it's like playing that game where you, you know, you're batting things down and keep jumping and jumps up there, jumps up there, better whack-a-mole, yeah, whatever whack-a-mole. that game is called, whack-a-mole. Yeah. That's what the monkey mind is like, whack-a-mole. It's up all over the place. It's mischievous. And it's don't do that. Just stand back and say, okay, which one's jumping up the most? If you don't try and whack them down and you say, okay, well, that one keeps popping up. All the others are kind of turning down. I'll focus on that. That's my new best friend. Let me do the work to unpack that. And that's like really helps. I wonder too, because I can speak to this personally. Sometimes if you are, you know, kind of trying to grind it out and do things and get things done and everybody talks about imposter syndrome at times, because you maybe even get into positions where you think, I don't even know if I'm qualified to do this or will they find out that maybe I don't know. And so I think it is an interesting thing when you develop a relationship with that other voice because it's it's that it's connected sometimes to well why do, why are you going to go up there and go talk or who do you, why are people here to see you or why did you get that promotion um, mm-hmm. so it is a really and sometimes might even say someone might even come up to you and say of something course. to you like, why are you doing this I should be doing yeah, this <laughs> I'm sure because that never happens that you know people do that right so I think it's just yeah. really important what in all that you're saying um, obviously for me technology is a big one and it's developing the right kind of relationship and who knows maybe these younger generations and I don't know, will know how to manage it better. They'll know like, oh, you know, this isn't good for me or this is, or this is how I do it. It is so new. Um, Do you think there's anything on the policy level? Like if you had, you could snap your fingers, you know, from a 
kind of a structural or society societal way that you would say, in my perfect world, I would love it to look like this. For example, you were talking about like even, you know, pr- professionals who are quick to go, oh, it's this, it's that. I think we're in a place really quick now just to be like, oh, they have this and they have this, which oftentimes is a very natural trait of a human being. But now we've labeled it, given it a name, moved it in and said, great, you're going to live with that forever. The first thing I would do is take the biomedical model out of mental health. That would be my dream is to, because the biomedical model is um, taking something like, for example, Parkinson's. I'll give an example. Parkinson's, we know from, we, we can identify the structural damage. It's in a part of the brain called the substantia nigra and the dopamine neurons are not giving us enough dopamine. And so there's, a, in other words, they can diagnose and that causes certain symptoms. They know the neuroscience behind it. They know the symptoms. They know the structure. That works for something like Parkinson's. It's a genuine path, a neurological um, pathology, something like traumatic brain injury. We can see there's a, but when it comes to life experiences, we've subsumed the challenges of life, being bullied at school, battling in a relationship, just dealing with the current zeitgeist, dealing with technology, all these things of life that are experienced being alive, those have been also subsumed into exactly how you said it, labeling from a set of symptoms to be eliminated. So that's bad. That's good. Let's eliminate that. How do we eliminate it? Medical model, drug it or do some technique or trick or something to try and eliminate it. And that the quickness of that has disregarded the mind. So I, as a, on a policy level, I would remove the biomedical model and I would move back to a model where we look at the whole human within a holistic space and talk about description versus diagnosis and um, get back to the model where we are realistically saying that this person's responses are related to the adverse experiences or just the zeitgeist of the day. Yeah. And instead of saying that there's an increase in ADHD amongst young women that's been undiagnosed, which is the latest trend, which really is frustrating. It's rather to say, no, it's not that there's some undiagnosed something. Forget the word diagnosis. Let's describe and let's describe the impact of a false society that's making us think in this way. And we're not taking enough time to think deeply. Let's describe the situation and then let's apply a much deeper way of um, analyzing. Uh, let's tell people at a policy level, don't just look at 500 things. Stop looking at surface. Take five articles a day and read them deeply. It's simple, practical, mm-hmm. and, and things that aren't expensive and aren't encumbered that you could put into policy um, in schools or whatever. It's not that difficult. That could then help people manage things at, at, in a commu- at a community level and at an individual level. So right from the top down. Yeah. That's kind of what I would, it's a big, big question. And I'd bring much more education into educating parents and helping them. I think that would be so helpful because if some real insight about what to do, it's amazing how impactful it can be um, and actually simple. And we, we don't realize it. The, the interesting thing exactly. is like quickly, we want to be like, oh, they're this. So we'll put them on that versus we just spend a little more time. We learn a little bit. We put a system in place to help them and us um, and really. It's so fascinating. We're very, we're so quick just to be like, oh, just tell me what it is and give me something and then we'll move on. Exactly. A quick fix mentality. But we know, know though, Gabby, that we know that if you're going to train to be an athlete, if you're going to get, you know that there's years of of training and pain Mm -hmm. that goes into that to become (laughs) proficient at whatever. But when it comes to mind, you don't want to feel comfortable, you know, medicalized misery, pathologized childhood, quick fix. 
And then the guilt that comes with, if you don't do this, it's a lifelong thing. You have to medicate. That is not, it's also, it's not scientific. It's being disproved. And this is what that's been doing for 40 years. That model has been in place. And you know, young, everyone's suffering from it. The research is totally evident that this is not the way. So that would be for me a huge thing to go back to communities and bringing the grannies into the schools to and grandpas that are in all their homes that are bored, let them go into the schools and help the kids mm-hmm. with their reading. And you know, there's so many things that we can do on a practical level that don't cost a lot of money yeah. that can help people. So finally, uh, Dr. Leaf, I really want to just ask you, because more and more parents are dealing with uh, children that are diagnosed with autism and that sort of has a different set of um, skills that someone needs, depending obviously on how deep on the spectrum the, the child is. Do you have some guidance for a parent dealing with it, whether the, the child is highly functioning or maybe a little deeper on the spectrum, just maybe the beginning or starting points on how to help them and, and interact? You know, I have a friend who has... Um, I have many friends actually who have um, autistic children and, and one in particular, it's like that eye contact and keeping the child from very young, you know, like in, a, you know, they talk about a tunnel where it's like, no, stay here with me kind of thing. I was just wondering mm-hmm. because you see so many different things. If you, if you did have uh, some suggestions about that. Absolutely. In fact, I, I work quite a lot with autism and um, the schools I trained in and worked in and in hospitals and things. We, I did a lot of work in that area. And, you know, it's such a, even to this day, I'm amazed at how the science is still unclear as to why, for example, if this occurs. And yes, it's great that we've got more understanding and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like a two-edged sword. It's being diagnosed more. And we have a whole spectrum. There's so much more than from 30, 40 years ago than we've been diagnosed. So there's, there's an openness, there's a recognition. But I'd always, it does always worry me that we put this very fixed label because it does, as soon as you give someone a label, you lock them in. Yeah. So I'm mm-hmm. once again more inclined to first thing is to, instead of saying, I have an autistic child or I have autism, say um, I have a described versus diagnosed, get into a description, I battle with these areas. And these are the things that my child's battling with. And if you can describe in as much detail as possible, then you can start tackling from the description. You can then start tackling. So that's one of the first things is describe. Really get into like, even if it's lots of journals that you're writing, get into a lot of detailed descriptions because in the des- describing, and you can use the neurocycle process to get you to that point because it's you can go through the steps to kind of get to that point. That is in the describing you're going to start seeing some solutions. You're going to start seeing some options. You're going to have questions that you can ask people that are more specific. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I'd say. Then the second thing is, yes, definitely um, from the understanding of where we currently at with autism is there's two kind of theories. The one is that there's damage to the brain. The other is that the brain is very hypersensitive. And so there's a, almost like there's a disconnect between because the mind drives the brain and, and there's a little bit of a disconnect between the mind being able to kind of get into the brain and manage the brain. And I'm trying to simplify complex science in the most um, effective way. Yeah. And so there's kind of mixed messages going through and it makes the um, mind-brain-body connection hypersensitive. And it's that hypersensitivity on different levels that gives us the spectrum. It's a very simple explanation yeah. of kind of where the science is. And so therefore, based on where your child is in terms of that extremely hypersensitive nature, experience because some kids will have extreme high levels of intelligence in certain areas right. and that kind of thing it's very important however to 
do a couple of things that I do with all my patients, and that was the younger ones and the older ones, is to keep them in the zone. So, you know, putting your hands, they don't always like touch, but putting your hands on either side of the face to create a, if they learn to turn away from you, to try and create a safe space, asking permission, can I touch you? Even if it's just you don't touch, it's just sort of touching, but it's creating that space where they come in and they connect with you because there is always the, is the tendency to look away. So to try and do that helps a lot. Try to, you know, build up the touch but don't over invade because if you touch someone who's got extremely sensitive what feels soft to you yeah. feels like sandpaper to someone else and to respect that and to not try and force that change let them grow into that that's really important and then on the cognitive side something that works incredibly well to help just helps with the brain um, and the whole network is reading and reading um it's very calming putting them maybe next to whatever and to create a nice environment that's maybe some gentle sounds in the background or water in the background, that kind of thing, and reading stories um, on an age-appropriate level and slightly above. So there's a bit of a challenge. It's always that require imagination. Um, that's really great, even if they close their eyes and you're reading to them, because TV can be sometimes overstimulating to a hypersensitive nature. Yeah. Not that you're not going to stop you know, you're gonna stop TV, but reading helps to really center and calm down, and it does a lot of brain building and a lot of repairing. You don't we underestimate the power of create reading where you imagine while you are reading. Yeah, there's a couple of things that people can try. So you know, you talk a lot also about lifestyle. When you were practicing, uh, were there sort of like directions you would push someone as far as you know, kind of a food practice, and obviously not telling someone sort of the principles that direct their eating, but you know, a, a, a sort of a location that you would push them to and discuss sleep and things like that, uh, because that you, you got to con- yeah, you got to consider all those aspects because you have to look at the whole person. So mm-hmm. first priority is is mind because mind without your mind your body's dead anyway. So is your brain. Your mind is your aliveness. So the first thing is always to help understand. Um, help a child and adult to understand how to manage their mind. And that goes with simple things like with, with to get, like I would have some patients that came in that wouldn't, you're not going to give them all philosophical. They're not interested, but they're battling at school and they want to know how to learn. So we'd focus that was the immediate need was how do I get better grades or how do I manage the fact that people, you know, don't want to be my friend mm. and that kind of thing. So working on those aspects is important. And then once you started, start getting some success on that level, then you have to kind of look at, you know, look at factors. Like let's look at sleep. Very often, I have a whole chapter on sleep in the book. Very often sleep is a side effect of not managing your mind. And most of the time it is that. These medications can affect sleep, obviously, and so on. But if you go to bed totally, everything's worked up from being on social media till the last minute or you haven't resolved issues. There's a lot of open-ended stuff, thoughts that have been opened up, but you haven't got some kind of resolution. You're going to that your mind at night when you're sleeping is going to try and sort that out. And that creates very vivid, destructed kind of sleep and um, things that are worrying you and that are anxious. There's a story in, a, in the book of a little boy that was very abused from very young and could not sleep through the night. And the step parents actually started neurocycling with a child, but they did it for themselves just to cope. And within four days of working through this, the child was sleeping and never slept more than four hours in his, his entire life. And he was eight eight years at the time so and I saw this so much with my patients that I didn't say you must sleep tell someone you must sleep they're not going to sleep I say don't worry about the sleep let's worry about let's let's not let's do constructive worry about how you're showing up now let's look at what are the prevalent things I need to know how to pass my math test I need to know how to cope when people don't want to tease me I need to talk about how I feel when I'm bullied I need to talk about the fact that my parents are getting divorced let's 
you know, I need to know how to um, be happy, a little bit happy. What can I do to be? That's what you deal with first. You say, okay, now beginning those, you've got to have a plan there. Let's build some lifestyle habits. Let's start looking at, you know, let's, tell, let's talk about, you know, your eating, bio-individuality. For everyone, it's so totally different. You've got to look at also cost factors. It's, it's organic food costs a fortune. We have to look at, you know, there's so many, so yes, I'm not prescriptive. As far as possible, people should try to eat real food. Yeah. But, you know, what is real food and what's accessible and what can you get? You know, so it's more, it's better for a person to work out what they can get their hands on in terms of what works for them. And so, yeah, we, we work on all those issues too. And I'd get, yeah, to give you a big picture. I thought this was interesting. You were talking about um, mental health in diverse contexts. So this, it, there's even different needs of children in diverse socioeconomic in, environments. I thought that was interesting and, and I just wanted to learn more and understand more from you about that. So when I started out my research, I was, um, I'm South African, well, actually born in Zimbabwe, but, and I've lived in the States now for 15 years, but I did my initial research and my first 25 years of work was in South Africa, in the poorly performing communities, in the apartheid regime created a mess, as we know, and racism created such a mess globally. In South Africa, it was legalized. So it was an existing problem with education. So those are the areas where I spend three days a week working. And um, there we saw, I mean, you see everything, every every level. And I'd work as well at the same time. They're working with some of the richest and wealthiest people in, in South Africa that could afford therapy and could go to the top schools and that kind of thing. So seeing so seeing the two from two different ends, also worked in Rwanda, you know, period around 10 years, just 10 years after the genocide. And so having had that kind of experience for years is the core thing of humanity is helping a person to really understand how they think and how their mind works. And once you understand that, you can then understand how to learn how to manage those the, the, your mental health aspects so that you can then learn how to exist within your community and as a community. And that's that was that whether you were the wealthiest yeah. or whether you were the poorest, whether you had been through terrible apartheid or racism or abuse, or whether you had a so-called ideal life, which has never really exists. There's always something, but every opportunity, the needs were the same. It was very interesting. The needs were the same. I'd have an adolescent one day coming to my practice from a very wealthy school who had no incredibly wealthy parents, and this child was really broken and you know, didn't know how to learn. And, and was and I'd have the same. I would have just come from one of those schools where they have absolutely nothing, and it's a group of adolescents, and it's the same. We're talking about the same kinds of things. So underlying. Everything is this core human human need to understand, you know, who am I, and how do I function in this world? How do I, you know, make this world work for me in terms of all the mental health side plus the, the gaining of knowledge? I need knowledge in order to to function in life. So that was that was a big eye opener for me. That that there's a commonality, a core common. Obviously, to have all those extra things is great. I mean, there's thousands of stories that are popping in my head as I'm talking to yeah. you. That just really, really educated me. I learned so much in that process. Do you think putting effort, I mean, I would say for me personally, I, uh, I'm, I'm somewhat, actually I'd have my DNA done and it says I'm equally as logical as I am empathetic. I actually would have thought I was more logical than empathetic. And I just, through having a family and living, I developed more empathy. Do, is there ever conversations around kind of empathy also helping us maintain you know our own mental kind of well-being you know once again 
you actually, that example is great to emphasize a point you actually asked me about earlier that we were kind of discussing, and that's the whole concept of taking a word and limiting yourself into that word. Right. So to try and pit one against the other is wrong because all of us have everything just in our own unique combination. So there's no good or bad, and that's the type of you. So I wouldn't, it's almost like it made you feel bad about yourself, and I'm sorry that that happened to you. It's actually, it's actually that there's empathy plays out in you differently to me. So it's not that you having logic more than empathy is makes you a worse person or a better person. Mm-hmm. It's just your, your unique combination of how empathy plays out in your life. That's a, that's a great point. I think it's, it's, but also I think it, it's this idea though of the, the more I've been aware of how other people are thinking or feeling or what they could you be tune thinking into others. or feeling and doing that tune practice, in. it also made whatever I was experiencing, I think easier because then all of a sudden you're not, it's not all about you. You're not taking everything personal. You could say maybe they're having a bad day. Um, they're doing the best they can or just, you know, just seeing Which it. Which is excellent. You you want to do that, but that's even more than empathy is just one of those characteristics. What you've done there is you've trained yourself to manage your mind. And part of manage your mind is self-regulation. And self-regulation is looking at the impact of you on yourself and you on others yep. and being able to stand back and observe how you are functioning and how you're impacting others. And, and that's opened your mind. Self-regulation and mind management will open your mind to seeing, hey, they're different because maybe they're having a bad day. And whatever. So that's what I would classify what you've done is you've increased your skill of mind management, which has then activated all the skills that we need as humans to connect better. Yeah. Well, it's it's probably about time, Dr. Leaf, that I do that. <laughs> I think you're doing it. So can you please first of all, Dr. Leaf, thank you for all of the work you do. And and you're you you are the energizer yeah. bunny. You are tireless. I mean, when I see you, you are, you know, just you're put together, you're on point. Um, you're always, you know, you're working on the educational part, which I, I just am so grateful. Um, maybe if you could just direct everyone to your podcast, to all the places they can find you, that would be great. You're very kind what you said, and I do have my moments, but I have learned honestly to, I have a lot of moments, but it's, it's, if I encourage anyone, the greatest skill that I've learned is I apply what I have actually learned. It's helped me change as a person. You know, and, that it's, and I give myself so much permission to be messy. Um, and I think that's huge. It's okay to be a mess. If anyone goes away with any message, it's okay to be a mess because that gives me the ability to be kind to myself and keep moving forward no matter what, which is really great. So people can, can find me on Dr. Caroline Leaf is my, is my, oh, my social media handle. It's my social media handle, I should say. And my webpage is drleaf.com. My podcast is cleaning up the mental mess. And you can find the book wherever books are available. I don't know if they've, if I, if, if you've got the book, but it's, that's what it yep. looks like, the most recent book for helping parents help their children. We have Brainy. It's on the website. We even have a coloring book, Gabby, that's um, with Brainy and all the scenarios and whatever to help parents with the carry, you know, more tips and things. I have the app, the NeuroCycle app, which is available on iTunes and Google Play. There's a lot of resources. And I know there's the app. Do you have any brain games that you actually like for kids or adolescents that are, that are out there? You know, I can't think of one specifically because yep. there's always there's I pers- personally don't play brain games. I'm just I'll just tell kids go read. But you know, it's that's the, <laughs> I'm that's trying the to get them off. Yeah, they probably love that. <laughs> it's a game. Read, yeah, go read. You should just go around with a big book. You know, get get your books. <laughs> well, if there if there's any last invitation, I know we've been talking about children, but given, you know, it is a 
it is a loud and time right now. I feel like oh, yeah. if you if you could make um, any last invitation, maybe I've missed something to young adults or you know just sort of adults doing you know managing all of these things. Um, what would that be? I would say very strongly, it's okay to be a mess. I've said this a few times now and don't stay a mess, learn to manage your mess, but give yourself permission to be messy and then make a plan to manage your mess. And that can open up a whole world of freedom and empower people to really feel like they get my autonomy back. Empowerment is key in self-regulation. Thank you, Dr. Leaf. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. Head to the link in the show notes and click gabbyreese.com to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, products, and more. If you have any questions for my guests or even myself, please send them to at gabbyreese on Instagram. If you feel inspired, please hit the follow button, leave a rating and a comment. It not only helps me, it really helps the show grow and reach new listeners. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.